Our scripture reading today from the Old Testament is the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34. From the New Testament, well, I'll be reading from the book of James, chapter 4. So Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 5. Please attend to the reading of the word. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pishgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. In the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as your word teaches us, The king's heart is a stream of water in your hand, and you turn it wherever you will. We plan our futures, but you, O Lord, purpose our futures. In the words of the hymn, we do not know the future, but we know who holds the future. So please give us the strength to trust you for our good and your glory, and please be with Jerry as he expounds on these truths. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. You can take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Uh, We're working our way through. Let me begin by saying that we know things don't always turn out as planned. Uh, As we go forward this morning, let me remind you, we'll be speaking about our plans, not God's. Uh, I preface that by saying this, we know that all things turn out according to plan but they don't always turn out according to our plans. And when God decides to change your plans, we're confronted. Each and every one of us are going to go through a time in ministry where we realize what we thought was going to be exactly what we wanted and what we had planned ahead and what we thought would be a perfect fit doesn't turn out that way. And then all of a sudden, sometimes it goes even more sour than that. Sometimes when things don't work the way we want, people begin to nitpick at the things we've done. Well, they didn't work because you didn't ask for enough help, or you should have called on this, or you should have known ahead of time. And then before long, it goes from nitpicking at little things to going at your character, where, well, you know, you just don't really care about people. And if you did care about people, you wouldn't have done that because you would have thought about this. And then the next thing, you know, it goes to who you are in Christ, because if you were truly saved, you wouldn't have cared. And before long, what God has done to change our lives to fit his plan always turns in to what others see as negative. And so how do you handle it when something in your life that you have planned to work out right changes 
and you know it's because of God's will. Oh, the pressure begins to mount. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is leading us through, as you know. We've been journeying through, and I appreciate your patience as I, too, journey through it with you. Uh, the blessings that we learned, that here Paul is facing an accusation, and we don't get the actual accusations. What happens here in this last part of the chapter 1 is we're getting Paul's response to the accusations that are being made against him because his plans had changed. And they looked at these change of plans as being, Paul, why are you being so fickle? Paul, why are you lying and changing your mind all the time? How can we even trust you with the word of God if we can't even trust you with your plans? How do you think we're supposed to grow in Christ and believe what you tell us about Christ if we can't even believe what you're saying about your journeys? You see, they began to attack one aspect, and it just began to mushroom. So if you go to Acts chapter 18, and those we've told you to read, you can see his ministry in Corinth. You can see the letters by the proof throughout the epistle that he's written these people. He has joy in them. He sees them as his children in Christ. He's seen them come to know Jesus Christ. But there's those that are antagonizing them. And since Paul did not come on the same exact trip in which he had said he wanted to come because God changed it, now these people are using it as an opportunity to go against him. And so my question to you is not just when bad things happen. Because we could account a multiple times this morning when things didn't turn out the way we wanted them. But it even happens sometimes in bad ways. That's how most of us recall them. If you're here this morning and I asked you to share, hey, pick a time when things didn't turn out as you planned, it would probably be one that went bad. Most of you would probably not say, oh, I remember a time when I was really down and it all changed. It worked out great. Those were our testimonial times. Those are the times that I could recount multiple stories that when I was in college one day, ready to go home for break and needed my books to get home and needed a ride to Oklahoma and had to be in a wedding in Dallas, Texas and wasn't sure how I was going to get all that worked out. It was an amazing story. I can't spend the whole day today telling you about it, but it's a wonderful story how one of my soccer players needed me to drive his car to Oklahoma City because he was going to get being married and he wanted to go home with Noel. And so I went to Oklahoma in his car and it was there, the wedding that they needed me to take a car with Ty to Dallas, Texas, where he lived. So I drove that car to Dallas and it was there that Mr. Hale said, Jerry, hey, listen, if you don't want to stay an extra two or three days, because the part I didn't tell you was my ticket to fly home was from Arkansas in college. So for me to be able to get home, I was going to have to redo this whole plane. And they said the only way to do that would be to catch the plane in Dallas. So I caught the plane in Dallas. And when I got there that morning, they said, well, you'll just have to go stand by. I thought I could be there for days. The very first plane came on. And so I said, well, I was told I would have to pay a difference. And she looked and she, I remember her saying, well, no, there's no charges here. This is all taken care of. So a, a flight that had been rescheduled really never got paid for. And I ended up going home, and my books were carried by a fellow student at school that said he was now finishing school. He was going home for the summer as well, and he lived in Colorado Springs. He would take some of my books. So when I got down there and I called up David, I said, David, I'm here. I was going to come get my stuff. He said, well, let me tell you where I live. And folks, catch this or not, you wouldn't understand unless you grew up in Colorado Springs. But in Colorado Springs, I lived on Pearl Drive in Mesa Grande. I lived two streets over from the division street of one school to another. So I graduated from Doherty High School. And on the next street down on Montebello lived a guy named David that I went to college with who grew up right around the corner from me and went to a different high school. And we had never met. 
Sometimes God's plans, when things begin to change, become miraculous. And as you walk through those steps and you're going by faith, we realize the journey is incredible. What hurts is when other people don't understand that. And so here in this chapter, listen to what it says, Paul's change of plans. Let me go with you. It says this in verse 12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand that just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. In one response, I'm gonna take you on a journey for a moment on several things that happen when God changes the plans of our lives because it changes many assets or aspects of our lives. If you're taking notes and writing them down, I'll give you a little outlay of where we're headed. First of all, we're gonna look at how it comes to the Deuteronomy passage. We should love the Lord our God, if you know this, with all of our what? And strength. And isn't that amazing that those four issues, as we can look at those, become an aspect of all of our lives? Because when things change, your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength are all going to be tested when God says, this is what I want for you. And it doesn't match what you wanted for yourself. And so you have to ask yourself, is my heart right? Is my soul being tested, trimmed, chastised? And what is it that's in my mind? And of course, what is my strength or my conduct? As we look through these this morning, let me share with you. First of all, in verse 12, he begins to challenge us, if you wish, when he says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, of our mind. When God's plans begin to change in your life, is your mind set straight that you are doing what God's asked you to do? The conscience is something that is very important in our life. Your conscience is what needs to be educated in a right way. If you read the book of Romans, you learn that many people have seared their conscience. Consciences aren't always right. Sometimes your conscience has been so seared that you begin to do things and just approve them of yourself because everybody else approves them. And so what happens is you begin to live a life according to others' approval rather than the scriptures and the truths. Paul reminds them right up front that I am boasting in this the testimony of our conscience. He's talking about him and those with him. That we have behaved in this world with simplicity and godly sincerity. I want to take a moment not to bore you with all the depths of the riches of the word. But this word here that we get in simplicity is amazing. Because the word for simplicity, if you wish, is also the same word that we get only used one other time in scripture. Paul never uses it again. It's the same word that is taken from the derivative of holiness. Agios. Hoplity is the same taken from hagios. So you, some translations and even older ones, King James and some others may actually render this word 
with complete holiness. Because to be sincere is the part and the challenge of our character and our heart. He, what he's saying to them is, let me tell you with all of my heart and all of my sincerity, my mind, my conscience has not been led astray. I'm not trying to lie to you. I'm doing what God laid out before me, and I'm sorry you don't like it. That's what's happening when people attack you. Because a lot of times we make plans that benefit others. And when those plans don't work out, do you know who suffers the consequence? the others. And when they don't get what they want, do you know who they blame? They blame you. And now you're stuck in this pressure we talked about last week because now you've got to make the choice. Well, am I going to go ahead and please them and go on with the plans that I had made so that they could be blessed? Or am I going to follow what it is God wants in my life? Sometimes you don't have a choice. I'm not speaking this morning about, for example, when God changes your plans and you do get sick or you face an illness or a catastrophic death that was unplanned. Folks, those are things in your life that, yes, God's had plans that you weren't expecting. And those are maybe unaware to you, but they're always a part of his plan. And we all go through them at times in our life. One of the things that we are as a body of Christ is we help each other. This past week, my aunt died, and I've been able to text back and forth with my mom. As some of you know, throughout learning about me, my mom was an executive secretary and an engineering office person until she was diagnosed with a meningioma brain tumor. And as that meningioma brain tumor took over her life, we didn't even know it until the day she was at her mom's funeral, and she wasn't able to walk. She couldn't go anywhere. It was there we rushed her into a two-day surgery. I flew to Boulder. She got the tumor removed, but the lack of the surgeries and what was necessary to keep her alive and to not be totally mentally disrupted, she lost all of her hearing on one side and the use of her eyes together. So it changed her life drastically from going to being an executive secretary running an engineering firm to laying on the side of our couch in my sister's bed and being handled and cared for the rest of her life. But you know, technology is wonderful because they came up with this thing called texting. And even though she couldn't hear and couldn't talk on the phone, we've been able to what? Text. And so changes come. And when those changes come, you ask yourself, am I able to handle those changes? Is my heart right with God? Is this an aspect because of my holiness that I trust God's plan? Can I say like Paul says here in this testimony of my conscience And of the simplicity, the sincerity, listen to this other word that he uses of sincerity. It's an amazing word that means unblemished for offerings. That's the Old Testament usage of it. What Paul is really going back and saying is, it's in the sincerity of my life. I am an offering to God. Do you catch that? It was on that road to Damascus experience that we realized that Paul came to this understanding that he was not his own, but he belonged to who? To God. And that every plan he had had been changed. And God was now using him for another purpose. God's purpose. Oh, Paul understood that because he writes this and he uses the word that means, I am writing this to you with all godly sincerity. With the fact that I have been raised as an offering. It is those fruits and vegetables or the animal that has been raised for the purpose of being given back to God. Are you sincere in your walk with Christ? Do you realize that what Paul is responding to his accusers 
is that you may be mad at me, but when God changed these plans in all sincerity, I'm an offering to God, and he can use me however he wants. When God begins to change your plans, are you ready to be an offering? Are you ready to be used in the way that God wants to use you rather than doing it your way? Oh, when he writes us not only about this heart issue that we have and our soul issue of Christ-likeness, listen to what he goes on to say. The conscience in its simplicity is important. When I'm challenged, pastor, what do I do? I want you to think this. Well, where is my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then when you want to put those into those terms, listen to how this works. Well, if it's a heart issue, it's from your character. Write that down. It's my character. That's what people will attack, your heart. Who do you belong to? Are you an offering? Do you belong to God or do you belong to someone else? Are you just going through the motions in life and pleasing other people? Are you ready to be used in something fantastic in the ministry for the Lord? You've got to decide on your character. But he goes on to say it's all in our conscience. That's the mind. Our heart is the, if you wish, the character. But our mind is the conscience. It's simplicity. Ready to be used by God in holiness. A clear conscience. Listen to what Paul says. My testimony is the confidence that I have this wonderful conscience that's clear, if you, if you wish to say. How could Paul have a clear conscience if you're basing it on where we've been? Can you imagine Paul standing before his, right, his listeners and saying, well, I have a good conscience before you. Even though I persecuted people, killed them, laid them out, watched them get stoned, went after the church of God, spent my life torturing the church and going after Jesus, and I didn't realize it. But I got a good conscience. You see, it's not basing it on the past. When God begins to change your plans, you can't look at how God can use you because of where you've been. You have to now begin to realize it's where I'm going. This is how God changes the plans. He's revealing to you that it's not about your past. Your conscience can be cleared, as Hebrews writes us, because of the sacrifice in Christ. And you can now go forward knowing that whatever the event is, God's going to use you for something great. Your experience, your trials, your tribulations, every circumstance is going to be used in the ministry to minister to someone else. So all of a sudden we realize, listen what he says, it is not in this uh, earthly wisdom in verse 12, but by the grace of God. Yes, it's about our character. And yes, we must have a conscience that's ready to go. But listen to what he begins to write us about being Christ-like. He says, explains his little journey. I wanted to come to you. I didn't. I wanted to come a second time so that we could have this blessing. And then he says this, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Verse 17 says, did I make these plans according to the flesh? Katasarke. That's the Greek. It's not according to the physical flesh. Did you know the physical flesh is not bad? You know that, right? If the physical flesh was bad, bear with me for a minute, then what would be wrong with Jesus? If flesh is sin itself, then Jesus would be what? Sin. Katasarke is the word according to the flesh. It's the principle and paladies of the flesh. It's the understanding and the ruling of the sinful self. When Paul uses the idea, am I making plans according to the flesh? He wasn't saying, oh, I want to make my body happy. He was saying, was I making plans to satisfy my own desires in a worldly way, a sinful way? 
man, when God begins to change your plans, ask yourself this. Maybe it's because your plans were all wrong. And maybe they were made according to the flesh. And maybe you had made decisions that shouldn't have been. And yet God's saying, this is what I want it to be. Paul's not saying that's what he did. Paul's saying, look, I didn't do this according to the flesh. I actually made plans that I thought were best for everybody. And I did them according to what God has now changed. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. Sometimes plans are bad. Let me give you a quick rundown. You put your own down, write your own. I just went through quickly and thought about what happens when the plans are bad. Does God still rescue us? Can you think for just a moment of David and Bathsheba? I'm not worried about what he did with Bathsheba. I'm worried about what he did after what he did with Bathsheba. That he would devise a plan to murder his warriors, his leaders, and Uriah who would represent everyone because he found out he was a holy, righteous man and he couldn't cover up his plan. And yet God changed his plans. Oh, let me give you something harsh. Bear with me for just a minute. Do you remember what the outcome of the chastisement when Nathan the prophet showed up to David and told him that God had a different plan for his life? Do you remember what the outcome was? Do you remember what happened to the child? God took the child. I can't imagine David, a man after God's own heart. And yet when he devised an evil plan, went through some things even more hurtful in order for him to be used by God. Man, it may not just be David. Could I go back to the story of Moses when he was finally called by God? And he said, look, man, don't worry about this burning bush. I can do greater things than that. Let's not marvel at the little things in life. I mean, God made the sun stand still, turned the world dark, rose people from the grave. I mean, folks, a burning bush isn't that big of a journey, okay? So when you get the bush done, he said, what I really want you to do is free my people. Now, that's a big issue. And do you remember when he went down to set the people free? Do you remember what Moses did? He got all frustrated because one of the Egyptians was beating up somebody. You remember what happened? Oh, you could recall the stories in his mind. He's probably thinking, wait a minute, this was my past. Now, wait a minute, this is what's going forward, and I can't be used again. And then to be told, let's take on Pharaoh? The plans changed for Moses when God said, you know what? He thinks he's the king of this world, but I'm the king of the world. So let's go into a little contest. You let Pharaoh bring up all his magicians and his powers, and I'll bring up mine, and we'll bring it to a conclusion. Do you remember how it ended? It's amazing that so many lives were lost when the plan of God was put forth. You see, we could go on and on about the stories. It could be Judah and Tamar. You can imagine even Joseph and Mary. Please don't say anything, but let me ask you this. If you're using things to cover things up, and believe me, your hearts can be hurt. Oh, it means a world when I say this to you. Can you imagine when Mary was pregnant? And wasn't married. And had a man that questioned her. Just think if they had alternative choices back then. Wow. 
You see, when God begins to change plans, everything comes into focus. First of all, he's going after your character. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to know that he's behind you. He's chosen you for a reason and a purpose, and the plans are important. He's not just after your, your character, but your conscience. Know and trust in me that you are an offering. You're a sacrifice. You've been used for my glory. I'm raising you up so that one day you're going to be an offering. Do you remember what we were told? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself holy and blameless, if you wish, before God, to be a holy, living what? Sacrifice. I know you've heard it a thousand times. You know what's wrong with being a living sacrifice? You want to get back up and get off the altar. You're not willing to really lie there and let God use you the way he wants. You want to get back up and run your own way when things get hard. If God's changing your plans this morning, you're facing some things you didn't think you'd have to face. You're going through circumstances. There's some decisions you would like to do and you want to glorify God, but man, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't know how to handle this. It could affect my family. How's that going to affect my church? What about my children? You have to ask yourself, wait a minute, are you making decisions to please everybody else? Or are you making decisions to be an offering to God? To be useful in ministry, you're going to have to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. A life of sincerity and a life of simplicity. Now, I laugh at that. You probably wouldn't want to laugh with me, but for those of you who love studying the Scripture and its clarity, Paul is writing to us about how clear Scripture is in its simplicity of holiness. And when you talk about the clarity of Scripture, do you know what that's called? You want to shout that out, anybody in theology? Probably can't even say it right. Isn't that ironic that when you talk about the clarity of Scripture, you're talking about its perspicuity? How clear is that? So when you want to talk about the clarity of Scripture, Paul's writing to them and he's saying, look, what I wrote to you is that you could understand these things and you will fully understand there's no secret to the truths of God. You're here this morning and it does not take a college education to read the Scriptures, unless you're in the King James. No, I'm just kidding. And it doesn't take a college education to expound on the truths of Scripture when it comes to knowing about who God is. Because the Protestant Reformation took us on a journey that said in this perspicuity of Scripture, this clearness of Scripture, God has revealed himself to us and what we need to know about God is clear to all who read. And what we need to know about ourselves is clear to all who read. And what we need to know about the gospel and how it applies is clear to those who read. You see, Paul's writing to them and he's saying, you know what, in the simplicity and sincerity of my life, I've done exactly what God has planned in my life. And for those who are with you and trying to convince you that I'm now half-hearted and I'm wishy-washy and I one day's yes and one day's a no and that I never can stand firm on anything, they're the ones that are lying. And they're the ones that don't understand the truth. Because I am an offering to God. It is my character, it is my conscience, and it's this Christ-likeness. Listen to what he says. I don't want to act in the flesh. I made no plans to the flesh. I want you to reevaluate this morning for just a moment. Take just a moment. Ask yourself how many of your plans right now were made according to the flesh. Had nothing to do with the kingdom of God 
had nothing to do with the furthering of the gospel, had nothing to do with the ministering to the body of Christ, but had everything to do with yourself and what you feel. You've made plans according to the flesh. And it just may be that God's changing your plans because he's telling you, no, I want your character. I've got you fixed with your conscience. You've been cleansed. And now I need you to be Christ-like. I need you to get out of living in the flesh and start doing everything for me to be more and more Christ-like. And then he says this, our word to you has not been yes and no. It's the last area of our conduct. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's amazing how Paul brings that out and says character, Christ-likeness, our conscience, and finally our conduct. It's never been yes and no. It's always been according to Scripture. One of the biggest challenges I faced in seminary was I went to a seminary at the time that was very liberal. I thought I was going to go on and be a professor. I loved teaching and I loved academics and I went through college fast. I didn't have to have a degree in Bible and Greek to read the Bible. I didn't have to have a master's degree to read the Bible and get saved. I didn't have to have a doctorate degree to go on and learn what God wanted. Those were just things God put in my life. But one of the challenges I learned a lot about going through school was that there was a lot I did in my life that I could not base on Scripture. I based them on family traditions. I based them on what friends had told me were right. I even found out after seminary that I had to challenge some of the things my own professors told me because it's what they believed rather than what the Scriptures said. You're here this morning, and you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when it comes to strength, it's talking about conduct. Are you willing to obey God and to live according to the scriptures? Every word of truth. Ask yourself when God's changing your plans. It just may be because what you're doing is not biblical and what he wants you to do is. Doesn't mean it wasn't scriptural or or spiritual, You may have been thinking to yourself, this is what Christian people do, but is it based on Scripture? Don't raise your hand, please, because I would hate to say that or know this, but how many of you have ever been in a church that did something that wasn't scriptural? Have you heard of any churches today that aren't scriptural? Oh, let's not think that just because we go to church that all of our plans are untouched by God. God's got a wonderful plan. And Paul was already shown so many things. And if anyone knows what it means to have plans changed, it's Paul. And you might say, yeah, but you're bringing up all the things that were wrong in people's lives. What about those when you think your plans are right? Well, let's talk about Job for just a minute. Can you find another person outside, especially in our Old Testament, of someone whose life was trying to be patterned with his heart, soul, mind, and strength, that there was no accusations that could even be made against him? And when Satan was uh, trying his best to tempt him, God even said to him, look, go do what you want. How do you like my servant? This is one who loves me, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you remember Satan's response? He only loves you, God, because you've given him everything he wanted. 
maybe you're Job. It's easy to tell people to tithe when you've got all the money you want. It's easy to tell people to just be patient when you've got nothing to worry about. It's easy to tell people, oh, don't worry about it, you'll get over it when you've never had to struggle. You see, Job had spent his life being righteous, and Satan brought up the true test. Let me see his character. Let me go after his conscience. He's had to have done something wrong. Let me face this Christ-likeness, which they didn't have back then. as a prophet-like. Let me go after his conduct. Do you remember when he got all done? Job's own family and friends that just turn against that God. Maybe God's changed your plans. And maybe the ones you trusted most are the ones that are saying to you, I wouldn't serve a God like that. I don't understand why you would even do that. And you're here this morning and need to realize that Paul's saying, I'll tell you why I serve a God like this. Because his plans are perfect. He saved my heart and gave me a character. He took my mind and developed it with a conscience. He shaped my soul from that which was nothing and made it Christ-like. And he's now taken my life and with his own word shaped every form of conduct I'll ever be a part of. I'm kind of glad God changed the plans of my life. And I would pray that you would be happy that God changed the plans of your life. For we are told the wages of sin is, oh, but when God had a change of plans for you. It's only because of grace that he took you from the journey headed to hell and placed you in this wonderful care of heaven so that you could be blessed. Oh, when God wants to change your plans, pastor, what do I do? You change yours and you follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for changing our plans. Father, as we have made our way through this world, we have so many times followed the ways of the world, followed the ways of our flesh. Father, I thank you for constantly developing within us a character. That you change the things of our lives so that our character becomes just right. Father, we thank you for the education of a conscience in the word of God. Father, we've so much followed today the ways of this world. Father, even in the leadership and the structure of our land, so many have a conscience that is definitely wrong and been seared. Father, I pray that you would guide us in the words of truth that we would become more and more Christ-like. And just as Jesus obeyed at all costs in all things, Lord, give us the strength to do the same. Give us the ability to follow your words. That when we see the plans change, we can still say we love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Father, you lead the way and we'll follow. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.